to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after caesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. Mel here. Today, Steph and I chat to Kiwi mum, Nikki, who lives with her partner and three young boys in Brisbane. Nikki experienced two emergency caesareans and then a deeply healing vaginal birth. Prior to her primary caesarean, Nikki had not done any education about childbirth and just went with the flow, which was the flow of her care provider, a local public hospital. She labored for 17 hours before being taken into theater and describes this birth as traumatic. Hoping for a VBAC in her second birth, which was only 13 and a half months after her first, she did educate herself a little bit more. However, her baby had other plans. She believes she possibly experienced a bit of postnatal depression after this birth and shares with us why she felt this way. Now, Nikki gave birth to her third son in August, and it was during this pregnancy that she really stepped into her power, determined to birth on her terms, despite facing resistance from her hospital. She did a number of things differently to prepare, which we can't wait for you to hear. And she also shares the profound impact birth can have on mother and child, which she has discovered through her own experience. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing your VBAC journey with us and for standing up not only for yourself, but for other mothers as well. There's a lot to take away from Nikki's episode, and we hope you all enjoy listening in. Oh, and there is a slight language warning on this one too, and a slight trigger warning as well as miscarriage is discussed. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for joining us today to share your VBAC journey. Would Thank you like you to start me. by? You're welcome. <laughs> Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Nikki. I'm a love and relationship coach and a mama bear of three beautiful, wild boys, <laughs> originally from New Zealand. And I now live in Brisbane with my beautiful partner and, and our three kids. Yeah. Before you fell pregnant, did you have any Uh, The first time, did you have any pre-existing ideas around birth or did you have any approach to it? My understanding of birth before I actually experienced my VBAC or birth itself was that birth was done in a hospital on your back, legs in the air, pushing and screaming, incredible pain, (laughs) like surrounded by doctors, kind of literally what you see on movies. And my first birth, I didn't educate at all. I'm going to go in, I'm just going to get the drugs, like just make it pain-free because I was afraid <laughs> of the pain. Yeah, that was probably my biggest downfall, I think, not educating. Do you want to tell us about that pregnancy? Yeah, so I fell pregnant with Griffin really early on into my relationship, actually. So my partner and I met in Cairns on the start line of Ironman. And that was in the June. I moved to Brisbane in September and we were pregnant by November. So it happened very, very fast. 
I think I was like 31 though, so I was pretty ready. Pregnancy was beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful. You know, that first time it was just like, oh my God, it's all new and you're exploring the sensations and riding the roller coaster of emotions and trying to keep your relationship together because you're like <laughs> flying off the handle all the time. But yeah, it was really beautiful getting into that. I remember getting into that second trimester and just being like, wow, I'm growing a human inside of my body. And the respect that came from my body after that experience was just like, like next level. Like up until that point, I probably had a bit of a love-hate relationship with my body. And then after experiencing pregnancy and birth, of course, it's just a whole new level of love and respect. And it's like just honoring this vessel now for how powerful she is. It's just, yeah, it's beautiful. But that pregnancy was just textbook all the way through. What kind of care did you go with? I went with midwifery care, but it was out of sight of the hospital. So with the first two pregnancies, I would see the midwives who were in Anala. So I had midwife meetings every time, but they weren't guaranteed to be midwives who would be at my birth. I later found out about group midwifery programs, but it was too late to kind of get into that. Sorry, was that because it's a little bit regional, the area? Was that the setup of of how you accessed care? Like you No, that was my choice. It was my preference, yeah. Yeah. So I could have gone to the hospital every visit, but I was like, well, I'd rather go somewhere that's a bit closer to home. Yeah. And I knew I was going to be seeing midwives and, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about the end sort of stages of your pregnancy? Did labour come on naturally for you? Yeah, so I got to, I think it was about 40 plus six. I did have a stretch and sweep. I think that was about 40 plus either four or five and was doing lots of walking, <laughs> like gutter walking, <laughs> having lots of sex, just trying to get this bubber out because I was well and truly ready. And then I actually got acupuncture the day before I went into labour. When you got the acupuncture done, was it meant to kind of put you into labour or was it more like a just getting your body ready for labour? It was specifically to bring on labour. Ah, yeah. Okay. But I think it very much comes down to if baby's ready as well. So I don't think it actually does. It maybe encourages Bub to come along because I did it with Griffin. I did it with Phoenix as well, but I did it a bit early with Phoenix and nothing happened. And then I did it the, the day before Phoenix was born again as well and it happened and it, he came on. So because with my V-back, I thought he was going to be born on the 8th of the 8th because I was like, oh, Lionsgate portal, he's going to be born on this really powerful day. So on the 7th, I went and got acupuncture because I'm like, well, if I get it on the 7th, then it's going to bring it on. I actually went into labour that night, but it stopped in the morning. So obviously he wasn't ready. My body started to bring it on, but he wasn't ready. So. But yeah, that morning, about two o'clock in the morning, labour began. And it was beautiful. It was like, oh, you know, that excitement of, oh, my gosh, it's happening. Like, oh, my God, are we going to meet our baby? And then also like the fear of like what's going to happen and just riding the waves of the surges. I think we went to the hospital about three after having laboured since about 2.30 at home, they were starting to come pretty close. I spoke to my girlfriend. She was like, yeah, I think you should probably go. So we did. And we got in there and I don't think I was that far along. I think it was only about three or four centimetres. So they were like, you can either stay here or you can go home. And we were like, look, we're going to stay because if we'd gone home, then we would have possibly been coming back and peak our traffic. And it was just like, not going to happen. So continue to, to labour at the hospital and See, for me, I had no understanding of the stages of labour because I hadn't done any educating for this labour at all. I was just kind of riding 
on what the doctors were telling me. I'm just in full trust of what the doctors were telling me. It was like just I was excited to get the episio um not the episiotomy. The, um, the, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like, excited for that. What's the one when they go on the back? Baby brains just kicked in. Epidural. 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 That's it. Yeah. <laughs> not the episiotomy. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not excited for that. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, give me that. But I enjoyed. Like I, was, I remember it being not too bad. I like we were in this room in the hospital. My partner was just, you know, laying there on his phone and he went out and got me chips and like, and I was just bouncing on the ball and it was just felt really beautiful. I had a vaginal examination done and everything was progressing really nicely. And then I got to seven centimeters and I'm like, right, yep, you're ready to go down to the birth suite. So off we toddled and that's when things kind of started to go a bit pear-shaped from there. The midwife that was on that night was... And a lovely woman. <laughs> um, and I knew that I didn't want gas because I knew that gas was going to make me like really dizzy and feel really out of my body, like just all up in my head. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I knew it would make me feel sick. But she basically come down, came down and she said, look, the doctor's not able to do your epidural. He's not here at the moment. So you're going to have to just deal with gas. And I'm like, no, I don't want gas. Like, I really don't want gas. And I remember going into the toilet and sitting down because like, I just needed to do a wee. I felt like I needed to do a wee. And I had a surge when I was on the toilet and I was just, like, gripping on to the sides. Like, oh, my God, okay, this is starting to get intense. Like, I was like, sheesh, kebab, that's, that's full on. Coming out of there and she had obviously heard me. She's like, get on the bed. And then the next one came and next minute there's this mask on my face. And I'm like, She's like, just breathe, breathe. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I said, I don't want this. So obviously you're so vulnerable in that space and that time where it was just like, okay. And I just breathed. And of course I started getting dizzy. I started feeling sick and I'm like, get it off me. Like, no, I do not want that. She's like, okay, took it off. And then she came back about, I think 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later and said, oh, we found another anesthetist who's going to come and do your epidural for you and I was like fantastic awesome did you know how many centimeters dilated you were I was around seven or eight okay they got me up on the bed and they got the epidural in I remember that like leaning forward and trying to get breathe through a surge or get through a surge without moving while he's putting a needle in my back it was just yeah it was intense but they got it in and then she kind of came over and she laid me down on my back and I said look I can't lie on my back my whole pregnancy like all of my pregnancies I haven't been able to lie on my back I would literally lose all sensation in my body it would just hit on nerves it wasn't good for me and she pushed me on my back and I said I can't be on my back like this is not gonna end well she's like well you have to be and she actually pushed me down onto the bed and I was just like this is not gonna end well and next minute my blood pressure is dropping I'm starting to vomit baby's heart rate's dropping there's doctors and nurses coming into the room and the, one of the, the doctor sits down with me and she's like, this is what's going on. Baby's heart rate's dropping. We can't get it back up. And if it's not back up in like 10 minutes, then we're going to have to take you in for an emergency C-section. And this is, you know, for a first time mum, and it makes me so emotional because it's such a huge thing. Like, and it really just breaks my heart that this happens to so many women. And for a first time mum to actually be so freaking terrified and have like the fear just instilled in her that her baby is going to die possibly it's just like of course get him out like I was just like of course you do what you need to do so of course 10 minutes later heart rate still wasn't up and I was whisked away to surgery and he was out in a heartbeat he was out really really fast because I was quite worried about him but I remember like that just that whole experience was just so traumatic 
so traumatic like and it was quite amazing I remember thinking wow these guys are amazing like it happened so smoothly as far as the doctors like they were in I was rushed out like everything just happened so quickly and they all knew what they were doing and it was just amazing and then he obviously was lifted out I got to see him briefly he was whisked away to be checked my partner got to do the cord and stuff and I'm lying there on the table being stitched up just going what the hell just happened like just in shock um and then of course next minute they bring him over he's wrapped up he's by my head and everything's forgotten of course up until yeah you kind of start <laughs> coming back to the experience and then start dealing with the after effects of that but I remember being incredibly bruised like I had big like blue bruise around my scar after that experience because it just happened so quickly and they were just so rough it's just like we just got to get him out Thankfully, he was completely fine. And yeah, we get to have this beautiful, healthy boy. But yeah, it was, it was a full-on experience. Was there any explanation for the urgency there to get him out or anything about him after he was born that indicated what had gone on? All I got told was that his heart rate was dropping and it wasn't coming back up. That was all I got told. And of course, when you hear that and you're in that kind of position, you're just like, he's my baby, of course. Like, do what you need to do to get him out. Like, that's all you think about, his safety and wellness. But yeah, he was completely fine as far as I knew. Like, there was nothing said afterwards that explained why it happened or, yeah, no, there wasn't. And I didn't ask for some reason. I think you just get caught up in that bubble of newborn and it's like, your brain's not functioning. You're not asking the questions that you probably need to be asking. Yeah. At what point did you unpack what had gone on in that first birth for you? How soon after the birth did that happen? I didn't. I never unpacked it. Yeah. Did yeah. you walk away from the hospital feeling okay with that birth? I wasn't happy with how it had planned out. I was, I was really upset about the midwife intervention, like what she did. But I was, I guess I just chose to not go, go into it. I chose to just let it go, let it go (laughs) as much as I thought I had. Yeah. And it wasn't until my third pregnancy that I actually started to heal, heal around that. Yeah. I was going to ask about that midwife, whether you'd given any feedback to the hospital about how you felt about her treatment. Yeah. I didn't initially, but when I went back to, because I, I didn't understand, like I didn't realize that what I had experienced was wrong. Like it felt wrong, but I didn't know how to actually express it or that I could actually say, Hey, this isn't right. Like, because it was my first time and I wasn't educated and I hadn't listened to other women's stories and, you know, um, backed myself in that way. So I just kind of was like, oh, it happened and I just have to deal with it. That was essentially what my thinking was, I guess. But when I fell pregnant with Phoenix, my second, the first appointment back at the hospital, I was like, there was a midwife who was at my last birth and I want her nowhere near me. So I was very adamant. And they were like, oh, no, she's left. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. And they actually said, yeah, she was known to be not not great. They had complaints about her, yeah. So when you fell pregnant, how, how were you feeling? What kind of mindset were you in when you fell pregnant with Phoenix? It was shock. Oh, yeah. It was a surprise, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was. I remember being down in Tasmania seeing my sister and I was standing up and getting off the couch and kind of being really like getting lightheaded and stuff. 
I'm like, oh, that's weird. I'd only had one period back. So I'd literally just got my periods back. And I think I was only about three months postpartum. And yeah, I was like, oh, that's a bit strange. And my, and my sister was like, oh, maybe you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Like we hadn't actually had sex where that had happened. We'd had sex, but not, you know, the deed. And I was like, no, no, there's no no way, no way. And so we went back to Brisbane and was just like, okay, I'll just wait and see. And my period didn't come. And I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Okay, maybe it's just kind of a shift. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just do a pregnancy test just in case. <laughs> and I remember sitting on the toilet watching that little line pop up and just like, I think I sat there for about half an hour just staring at it, just going, oh, God. <laughs> like it was just, yeah, it was, it was a <laughs> shock. And especially because you're told, you know, don't get pregnant within this amount of time because you can't be back. So I was just like, oh, my goodness. And then after the shock wore off, it was excitement. Because <laughs> I always knew, like, the first thing that I said when Griffin came out to my partner was like, can we have another one? So obviously the universe was like, sure, have it now. <laughs> Here you go. Asking you shall receive. <laughs> Did you know that you wanted a V-back as well, like pretty early on? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Second time, I was, as soon as I found I was pregnant, I'm like, cool, we're going to be back regardless of that time frame. I was like, yes, we're going to try it for it. Do you want to tell us about <sighs> Phoenix's pregnancy? Yeah, so Phoenix was, was another really just textbook pregnancy. He was really easy as well. I had a, a little bit more nausea with him and I was like, oh, well, maybe it's a girl, but certainly not another boy. Yeah, it was actually, it was fine. I put Griffin into daycare a bit just so I could have some time to myself while I kind of navigated that and I was growing a business at the same time so it was a lot going on but yeah it was just it was easy they were both really easy I was really fit really active through both those pregnancies and I think that really really helped like I was always like like doing strengthening strength exercises and stuff the doctors like the midwives I had the same care the midwife care and they were both all very pro VBAC felt really supported with that was awesome um, that was seeing the, the midwives at Anala again. I was excited for the VBAC. Again, I probably, I didn't educate myself as much as I could have. I read a book and I didn't, I didn't listen to stories. I didn't really research VBACs. I didn't really understand how my body would behave through birth. I still didn't educate myself enough to actually go into that birth feeling really confident. I thought all I needed was a birth plan and to, ha- and to have a little bit of understanding of what my body would do. So my birth plan was very much like, it was very colourful and, you know, like it was very much my feminine and creating this beautiful birth plan. And it said that, you know, I wanted no pain relief. I was like, I don't want pain. Drugs, I was going to try for the VBAC to be respectful of that. But, yeah, otherwise that was pretty well it. So education's elect again and I take responsibility for that and I also think that there's a a huge missing piece in western medicine that women aren't educated correctly on what their bodies actually do during birth that's been a huge thing you know with my third I went into hypnobirthing and and really like started listening joined facebook groups like really empowered myself and that through that whole process I was just like wow this is the stuff that women should actually be told and this information is just not offered to you from western medicine they don't they just don't want to empower us in any way do they it just blows my mind that it's not not discussed not one person not one doctor actually said to me oh this is what your body does not one midwife told me 
because I didn't know what questions to ask. I'd never done this before, you know, like especially with my first birth, like it's like we're expected to know. It was really interesting. So when I had my second one, I was still kind of in that space where I still hadn't really connected with other women who had had VBACs. I didn't know that hypnobirthing was a thing or I'd heard about it, but I was like, oh, that's just the hippies or woo-woo stuff. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, right? And it's really common that people misunderstand what hypnobirthing is massively. I sure did. So I did the same. I had the acupuncture. He was 40 plus four. So I had it on the 40 plus three. And then I went to labor with him at 2.30 in the morning as well. And then labored. And I remember that that those surges came on really intense, really quick. So they were still spaced, but they were quite intense. But then they kind of started coming really close together. And it was like, it was really kind of, they were really kind of messy. But the, the pain in my abdomen was really sore, like really bad. So that kind of ignited me to get me into hospital a lot sooner and they had said yep cool we're happy to support you with your VBAC but as soon as you go into labor we want you in the hospital so we can monitor you. Is that mainly because of the short age gap do you think that that was part of the reasoning or was that just a VBAC policy? It's a VBAC policy for them. And you felt supported by the obstetricians as well with regards to the short age gap? Yeah, and I think because I'm so fit and healthy, like I healed beautifully. Like I always, Mm. my body just heals beautifully. I remember them trying, they suggested C-section and the first couple, but after that it was never pushed on me again. They were very pro, and I'll give them that, like that for that that first VBAC, they were very pro, pro VBAC, which was really nice. So I did feel supported. And even when I got into hospital with him, they were still really supportive. I had the constant monitoring on. But yeah, they were still encouraging for a VBAC as far as I knew. Were you concerned about uterine rupture? I was concerned because of what I had been told, you know, like, I, and I hadn't educated myself outside of it. So I had just been, I just had the fear put into me of there's a chance that this could happen. But I wasn't told the actual numbers, you know, statistics of how often they actually happen or what actually happens in the process or anything like that or that even the the risks of another c-section like none of that was spoken about so all it was was just a thought okay there's a possible chance of rupture but I was still very much like I'm in the safe place I'm in the best place I possibly can be if anything were to go wrong then it's fine but with him so we got into hospital I think it's about eight o'clock in the morning and the surges were intense and the pain didn't feel right so I was still very much listening to my body and I remember like my my labor with Griffin the surges were intense but they weren't excruciating pain and that's what I was experiencing really early on and I was only two centimeters so I kind of knew that something wasn't quite right or my body was telling me that something wasn't quite right so when they said look because his heart rate, same thing was happening. I would have a surge, his heart rate would drop, and then it was struggling to come back up. So it's normal for his heart, for their heart rate to drop, obviously, when you're having a surge, but then usually it comes back up pretty quickly. But for him, it was coming up really slowly. I knew, I just knew there was something not right. Like my, my motherly instincts were like, there's something not right, we need to get him out. So when they said, look, we need to do a, a C-section again, I was like, yep, absolutely, I'm 100% with you, like, and I felt like it was still my choice. And sure enough, he had actually 
So my waters didn't break with any of my kids. So he had actually pooed in the sack. So he had meconium in the sack and he had ingested as well. So he was just letting us know, my body was letting me know that he needed to come out really, really quickly. So we got him out and that was a, a karma experience again. So I didn't have any bruising. It wasn't as stressful, but he literally was picked up. I saw a glimpse of him. He was taken away and then I didn't get to see him again for eight hours. So that it was another trauma on top of a trauma that was just like, oh my goodness, like what the heck? So I think after that, it was like, right, no more kids for a while. Like I just, <laughs> I need a break. I knew I wanted a third, like 100% knew I wanted a third, but yeah, I needed to have that break between them in order to kind of just heal and process and, and yeah, get ready for the possibility of a third. Mm. How did that healing and processing look like for you? I look back on it now and I feel like I possibly experienced a little bit of PND, but I didn't realize it at the time, but I wasn't in a good place. I felt really, because I, I didn't have my parents, like I didn't have family here that could support and I felt quite alone. Um, I remember you know, talking to my mom and, and just saying, I'm not coping. And then next minute, my sister had booked a flight to come over and just be with me for a week or two, which was amazing. So it didn't, like it took a while. So Phoenix actually, he came out and was on antibiotics of course they put him on antibiotics straight away for the meconium then eventually I got to hold him but when I was in labor my partner was sick so we got home we were home for a couple of days and he got a temp and he got up to like 38.5 or something so we were back to the hospital and he had another God, I'm gonna cry he had another um round of antibiotics in there just to make sure that he was okay so we were in there for a few days and then got home and then the same thing happened again and I was like right I'm just going to monitor it I'm going to try and bring it down myself and it just kept climbing so I was like right back into the hospital again another round of antibiotics so in that first kind of two three weeks of his life he had three rounds of antibiotics and we were just in and out of hospital I was you know trying to have be with Griffin my eldest and it was just chaotic so it's totally understandable that I had a lot of in like emotion and I was slightly low because there was it was so much going on so his little tummy then was screwed from the from the antibiotics so then we had a, a journey with him like helping heal his little belly and so it was really full on and then there was Griffin of course that was like he wanted my attention all the time too and I just was like I couldn't put baby down it was yeah it was extreme and then dear healing from a freaking c-section as well like yeah it was all happening <laughs> Yeah, all um, happening. physically, how did you feel after the second C-section? It was much the same. I remember like the bruising and stuff. I didn't have the bruising and stuff with Phoenix, the second one, thankfully. The pain, I feel like I, I wasn't on endone as long with the second one. So I feel like, and I chose that because I didn't like the way the endone made me feel. But it was, it was still horrible. Like just trying to wake up in the middle of the night and feed and not being able to just get up really you know quickly to grab bub and and constantly having to be aware of the abs and so it was like you were constantly distracted from what you actually naturally just wanted to be doing which was caring for your baby but you're having to think about you know your abdomen and, and everything your healing and stuff so I feel like the pain was probably much the same but I had more bruising with Griff the first one but yeah the pain I don't know you kind of block it out there don't you like you kind of forget c-sections are just they're a whole new challenge of their own I mean you know <laughs> yeah mm. and it is quite stressful as it is going from one to two that's probably one of the bigger jumps and adjustments that you make and it sounds like you had 
a lot of other stuff going on with him back and forth to hospital. So that's an added. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And his gut healed okay after a while, after that yeah, period? So yeah. I saw a osteo. We had him on baby biotics. And, yeah, it was pretty much just a, a, a waited out process in that kind of first three months. I think I got to about eight weeks and things started to slowly settle. But up until that point, he was just crying constantly, like just constantly. But now he's perfectly fine. Loves his food. <laughs> no problems whatsoever. Yeah. So oh, that's great. Yeah. So when you left that ho- left the hospital, did they give you any advice about future babies and and delivery? You know, if you, you have a third, have- you'll have to have a C section. How yeah. did that make you feel at that time? I was just like, no, no. straight away. Yeah, yeah. I was like, because I knew of people that had had VBACs after two C-sections and I'm like I was just yeah I just knew I was like no that's not not gonna happen if I go for a third I'll be trying to be back again as well. Why did you want to try was it because they'd both been experiences that you didn't feel in control of or what was driving your decision to try rather than go the elective route if you were to fall pregnant a third time? I felt robbed like I felt robbed of getting to experience my power as a woman and getting to experience something that we are born to do. You know, I felt like that midwife took that away from me and in order for me to, and I, and for me, I didn't, it was really funny. Like I kept saying to people, I was like, I expected myself to feel different as a mum, And there was a real disconnect there. And it wasn't until later with having Levi that I really got it. It was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But I just didn't feel like I thought I would feel as a mother. And, like, the boys, Griffin and Phoenix, both kind of gravitated a bit more towards Daddy. Daddy, Like, Gary was the first one to hold both of them. I didn't get to do skin to skin with either of them until I was well in, like, the recover, like, out of recovery. Oh, no, I think Griffin, I was in recovery and then Phoenix. But I was in the ward. No, I must have been when I was in the ward. And then Phoenix, I didn't get until I was in the ward. And it was like eight hours later, you know. So it was like I feel that the bond between the us took a little bit longer to kind of form. And there was always like a little bit of a disconnect. And I only know that now compared to what I experienced with Levi. And so the boys tended to gravitate more towards Gary, my partner. Like Griffin, I could never settle Griffin. Griffin only ever settled with Gary Phoenix because I think we had that time in hospital together. He was a bit more, a bit closer to me. But then when I look at what I have with Levi, it's completely different. Completely different. Like the connection instantly. We did skin to skin from the moment he came out. And like everything is so different. And that that birth has made me feel like I thought I would feel when I became a mother, a mother. When you fell pregnant with Levi, you knew already that you wanted a VBAC after two cesareans. He's in the same hospital. Can you tell us a little bit about those conversations? So this time around, I got in and I was adamant. I'm like, yes, I'm having a VBAC. They were like, okay, great. So the initial conversation was pretty good. I saw a midwife. And she was like, yep, cool, we, we encourage me back here. She ran through the risks, of course, around the C-section. And I'm like, yep, that's fine. And then she's like, okay, so what kind of care do you want? Do you want to go and see the Inala midwife again? I was like, no, I wanted to this time keep it all at the hospital so that I um, 
we would have that continuation of care. I tried to get into the midwifery group and I didn't, unfortunately. But then I was like, okay, well, at least if I'm coming to the hospital, I'm seeing the same midwives every time who are possibly going to be on duty when I am in labor. That first conversation was fantastic. And then I only had three or four visits, I think, after that. So with third baby, you don't have to go as much, which was quite nice. So then the next visit wasn't until a fair bit later. I think I was almost either late 20s or into the 30s. I can't quite remember. That one, I met with a woman and there was something just off. Like I, I went in there. It felt completely rushed. I felt like she didn't have time for me. I wanted to ask her questions about the C-section. Yeah, so this must have been around the 30-week mark because it wasn't until I was still up. I was actually umming and ahhing a little bit when I fell pregnant. I was like, okay, will I do VBAC or will I not? So I was kind of umming and ahhing. My soul was like, yes, VBAC. But I was like, oh, maybe I'll explore the possibility of a C-section just because it might be easier. We can pick the day. We can get in there and get it done. Because after what I'd experienced with the first two it being so intense, I was like, oh, maybe um, a C-section would be an option. I was like, but only if I can have immediate skin to skin, if I can see my baby being born, if I can actually be the one to grab him and pull him up onto me. There was things that I desired to have. And at this point, I'd done a little bit of research into that and knowing that that was possible. And that first midwife visit, I spoke to this woman. And as soon as I walked in, she I just felt rushed. I felt like she was just like trying to get me in and out. She felt really busy. And I was feeling really emotional and wanted to ask these questions. And she literally said, no, no, you can't have any of that. So that was my solidifier of, right, okay, well, if I can't have that, then I'm going VBAC, 100% done. And I think a little bit of fear after the, the birth with Phoenix, a little bit of fear of that happening again had started to creep in. So that's where that kind of doubt, because I remember leaving the hospital and if I, I, when I first started thinking about having a third, I was like, yeah, of course it's going to be a VBAC. But then I, I had a miscarriage at 11 and a half weeks before I fell pregnant with Levi. So I kind of had that happen and I was like, right, I just want a healthy baby. I want a baby to come into this world. And, and when I got my rainbow, that's where, that's where that kind of doubt or that questioning started to come in. So I was like, maybe let's explore both. But yeah, when she said that, I was like, nah. So I actually left that appointment, went straight to the reception and said, can you change my midwives? Like, I don't want to see that woman again. She just didn't feel good. So I was very much like, if this doesn't feel good, if the people that I'm interacting and engaging with from this point on do not feel good, then I'm going to actually say and ask for what I want. And I did, I asked them and they changed me to, a, like, so that was the Friday roster. They changed me to the Thursday. So I was seeing different. So the second appointment I went back and I was like, right, I'm having, I'm having VBAC with hundred percent certain on it. And they were like, okay. And they talked about the risks and everything. She was sick. So this was in the middle of COVID. I walked in and I'm like 30 something weeks pregnant, trying, you know, obviously do not want to get sick, right? Like you don't want to get sick when you're pregnant. It's not much fun. And she's like coughing and sneezing. And I looked at her and I'm like, are you sick? And she's like, yeah, I am, but don't worry, I've been tested. It's not COVID. And I'm like, I don't care. Get a mask on now. Like you should, I should not be in this room with you. Like you should not be here right now. Anyway, she went out, she got a mask on and, and I was just like, get me out of here. Like I do not want to be in this space. In um, Brisbane, were you allowed to have two support people at hospital? So they did shut that down. So they were, they were only allowed one, like your partner. And he was only allowed to be there for the birth and then he would have to leave. But by the time I came to birth, I was able to have my two people. So I opted to get a doula and we were just hoping and hoping and hoping that nothing changed and that we were able to, yeah, have that, have that still. I found her really early on. Like as soon as I kind of decided go for VBAC, 
I did a hypnobirthing course, actually for the first time learned what my body actually does during birth. (laughs) I'm like, wow, it's taken me three pregnancies to get here. Yeah, leading up to that birth, I was all in. I actually, um, I did a beautiful mama blessing as well. I had some like about 20 of my sisters come with, come together. And I reckon that like that was a, a real shifter for me, a game changer where we sat in circle and it was very much around like empowering and I got to express my fears and release all of that and, and just help be held by my sisters. And that was so beautiful, so beautiful. And my approach to birth this time was around the sacredness of it. And it wasn't just about pushing it out a baby. It was like the whole process. And I knew it was going to be deeply healing for me. And I think that's why I got so upset with the first woman when I went and talked to her about the C-section, because I said to her, like, this is a really important birth for me. I need this birth to be healing because I knew it was going to be my last. I need to know that I can have what I need. And she just shut me down straight away. And I was like, wow, like I just was burst into tears. And like, this is not what I'm choosing. This is not like this birth is going to go exactly as I planned, <laughs> as I chose. So I was very intentional. I was meditating. I was communicating with baby. Like we were having constant, I was constantly talking to him and, and you know, listening to him and, and having guidance from him. And he was constantly reassuring me, just like, yes, mum, we got this. Like, we got this. I've got you. We're going to do this together. And then doing the beautiful mama blessing where, you know, the woman just poured so much support and empowerment into me. And then like the couple with the hypnobirthing and the doula, the support from my partner. You mentioned that your partner was supportive. Did you feel supported by um, a wider community as well? Like you mentioned mother's blessing, but like, was there anyone that wasn't supportive of your VBAC after two cesarean attempt or? Um, so probably my, my mum and my sister were a little concerned, but they're warriors. So they're the warriors in my family. Like they like, they stress and they're like, oh, you know, but while they expressed their concern, they still supported me. But that's also like, I choose to surround myself with people who are positive. When you expressed your fears through this process, what were some of those fears going into this the third time? So the control piece, the feeling of being out of control was probably the biggest thing of, okay, I'm scared that something's going to happen again where this this opportunity is going to be taken away from me and I'm not going to get to heal that part of me. That was probably the biggest fear that something would go wrong that was beyond my control. That would lead to me having to have another emergency C-section and missing out on on that healing that I knew I needed because it had happened with both of them. They were both emergencies and it was both Bob going into distress. So it was like, okay, I'm scared this is going to happen again. Please don't let it happen again. But he was constantly reassuring me. He was like, mom, it's okay. We've got this. Like, so there was that fear, but I knew my soul, my in my body, I knew that I was going to get get what I desired. In your pregnancy, did you have to have a one-on, or not have to have, but were you offered a one-on-one uh, appointment with an obstetrician to talk about your plan, or did you just see midwives right to the end? Oh, so that's right. Of course, get sidetracked. Yeah, so third appointment, <laughs> third appointment was the kicker. So the stuff had happened, the first two, and I was like, right, this is interesting. What's happening here? So third one, I went in and I was like, right, I saw a guy. I had a man come and get me. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. It's awesome to see, you know, some men stepping into the midwif- midwifery. We get in there. I talked to him. He's like, oh, so you're going for VBAC? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, you're aware of the risks, aren't you? And I was like, yep, 100%. And he's like, okay. And it was the appointment where I was going to be seeing an OB. 
And I think this is my third. And I had one more planned after that. He's like, okay, cool. So he jumped on and he checked the heart rate. I was like, can you tell me the position of the baby? And he's like, oh, no, I'm not the best person for that. I'll get someone for you. And I'm just lying on the bed going, what? You're not the best person for that? Like, how can you not? You're a midwife. Like, how can you not? Anyway, it was racking my brain. <laughs> going, this is weird. So then I was left sitting in this room for about 20 minutes, just going, what the heck is going on? Next thing he comes back and he's like, oh, sorry, it was just taking a while to get the um, the OB. And I'm like, okay. And then he disappears again for another five minutes. And I'm like twiddling my thumbs. And then he comes back in with the OB. <laughs> this woman came in, she sat down and she's like, okay, cool. You're having an OB back. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you're aware of the risk. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and she said, oh, that's fine. And I'm like, okay. and then she goes, oh, and I see that you're requesting to not have constant monitoring. And I'm like, yes. I said, I'm happy for you to do, do Doppler monitoring because by this point I'd really educated myself. I knew what was possible. I'm like, I'm happy for you to do Doppler monitoring um, intermittently, but I don't want to have that. And she's like, well, we don't we don't um, support that decision. That's not a decision that we are going to support you with. So you can be expect you can expect to have people hounding you every time that they come into the room to to put this constant monitoring on you. And I was just like, well, no that's not going to happen because I'm not actually allowing anyone into my space but she didn't know she didn't know that I was educated and that I'd done hypnobirthing and that I was feeling very empowered and then I still wouldn't budge on it and she's like okay well as long as you understand that if you choose not to do this and then something happens to your baby or your baby dies then it's going to be on your shoulders and in that moment I just saw red I composed, like I managed to keep myself composed and was just, I was fuming on the inside, like just like you bitch. Like I could not believe that another woman could sit across from me and pull that card on me, the dead baby card, to try and coerce me into doing something that was so against what I desired. And I've got goosebumps like right now talking about it. I was so angry and I left that appointment. She left and she was like, okay, lovely. Have a great day. And I was like, oh, I just wanted to backhand her. I was so upset. <laughs> and I left, <laughs> left that appointment just going, what just happened? Like what just happened? Just completely shaken. I was really fortunate. I had a beautiful friend who's a nurse and she'd actually just started midwifery and I rang her just in tears, just going, what the heck? And she's like, Nick, this isn't right. So in that moment, I was like, right, we've got to write a letter of complaint. And I did. I sent an email. So I typed it up, this like, I typed up this cute little email and sent it to my girlfriend who's a nurse. And she's like, I'm just going to tweak it a little bit just to make it sound a little bit more professional, like, like you know, because she knew that I know knew the information. I just didn't know how to verbalize it. So she sends me back this incredible email. I'm like, oh, damn, girl. Like, you need to be like, it was awesome. I'm like, boom, sent it. Next thing I get a phone call from the head of midwifery and she's like, we are so sorry. She is incredibly apologetic. And at this point, I'm just like, you know what? No, like this is not okay. And she's like, you haven't actually been seeing midwives. You've been seeing doctors. And I'm like, what? What the heck? Like, why am I seeing doctors and not midwives? And she's like, well, we try and do it so that, especially with women who are on like their third pregnancies, that we let them see doctors 
just to support the doctors and actually learning a bit more around, you know, birth and stuff. And I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, are you aware of what's actually going on? She's like, no, we were not aware. Like, obviously, I was just like, well, that is not what's happening. She's like, obviously, there's a real problem here in in regards to care and, and the communication that we're all on the same page. I'm like, yeah, there is. And then, so I cancelled my fourth appointment. Um, but she was just, she was just so apologetic. She's like, "I'm so sorry." She's like, "Would you like me to get the like the head of obstetricians to call you?" And I said, "I only want to hear from you if you are actually doing something to create change around this. Like, if he's going to call me and just fluff over stuff and be all apologetic, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear from him what you're actually doing to create change." So anyway, like I was just standing in my power, like full power. I'm like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for all the mothers. Like, this is not okay. And then I heard from the head of obstetricians. He rang. He also was incredibly apologetic. He said, yeah, we're going into a meeting tomorrow to really talk about the standard of care and, and make sure that everyone's on the same page and stuff. And he'd spoken to the OB. And, and so she got a talking to and stuff, as far as I know, anyway. But I have to say, like, writing that letter was probably the best thing I could have ever done because the care that I got from that point on was amazing amazing and the only thing that annoys me is that I shouldn't have had to write the letter to be treated that way no I shouldn't have had to have gone through that experience had someone like for any other woman who's not as strong I'm a strong woman I know myself I've done so much work on myself to get to that point for any other woman who's not that she would have been absolutely terrified to have had that the dead the mm. dead baby card pulled like mm. oh, yeah it just made me angry lit a fire that's for sure mm. so what ended up being the resolution to that in terms of monitoring did they respect your wishes in the end or did you reach a compromise or I still I still didn't experience constant monitoring the midwife like that and that's what I mean like they were so respectful (laughs) it was like I had my birth plan I was a hypnobirthing mama so I had a sign on the door no one was allowed to enter the room I only had my partner and my jeweler in there as well as the midwife but no one else was allowed to enter the space without permission I had a birth plan that literally everyone had to read before they could even come and talk to me they weren't to talk directly to me initially they were to talk to my partner and then they would come to me if they wanted to like this is on my terms now the reason I was able to be like that was because I had built such an incredible connection with my body with my baby and educated myself so much so I'm in no way suggesting that women just go in their gung-ho I'm like educate yourself you have to educate yourself to find out you know and to really build that relationship with yourself to be feel empowered and to know your body right like so many women live live our lives in our heads that we're so disconnected from our bodies so really taking that time to understand that my doula was incredibly empowering as well so we labored at home I labored at home so I went into labor at like eight o'clock 8 30 p.m on the Tuesday night and we didn't get to the hospital until I think it was about three o'clock and then the afternoon on Wednesday so I chose to labor at home for that whole time and by the time we got in there, that obviously had a mark or a tick against my name saying, treat this woman, like, just be really, really mindful of this woman, like, make sure she gets the gold standard. You've got the VIP. The VIP, yeah. <laughs> because I was, yeah, I because I said I didn't want to veg- v- any VEs. I didn't want to know, like, the number. 
and this is all stuff that I decided on prior to going into labor. So, you know, I didn't want anyone in the room. I didn't want constant monitoring. I was okay for the, the doctor and stuff. I wanted to have be able to be in water, et cetera. So when we got into the hospital, like things were really intense and I sort was seen initially by the first lady and then taken in to see um, a midwife and she wanted to do a vaginal exam. I was like, I've got a birth plan there. Can you read my birth plan? My daughter said that actually. And so she read the birth plan. She says, okay, cool. So I see that you've requested not to have a vaginal exam. And at this point I was kind of like, the curiosity was kind of getting the better of me. And I'm like, oh, like it's been a really long time. I'm really tired because I've been up since like six o'clock Tuesday morning, hadn't slept all night. And it was now, you know, over 24 hours. I was pretty tired. I was like, I kind of wanted to know what was going on in there. And I was adamant. I was certain that I had to be at least seven centimeters. Like it had been, <laughs> it was intense. <laughs> so anyway, we got in there and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I do. But what I loved was that it was up to me. So this time around, nothing was being forced on me. I was getting to make the decisions. And that was where that respect was coming. And it was like, okay, I see that you've chosen that. I would love to do it, but I understand that you don't and that's okay. But yeah, just know that, you know, I would love to do it. And at that point I was like, you know what, I'm actually open to it. I'm okay for you to do it. So we had it done. I was like, but I just don't want to know the number. I don't want to know the number. This is what I'm telling myself. I'm like, I don't want to know yeah. the number. But the voice in my head is like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Just don't tell me the number. So she did it, kept her game face, put everything, like wrote everything down. And I was like, oh, I think I actually want to know the number. And but I could, wasn't like I wasn't like yes or no. So I was like, they were like, okay, well, why don't you? Why doesn't Gary find out? And then if you decide that you want to know, then you can ask him. I was like, okay, cool. So Gary goes over to have a look, and the bloody midwife she goes, she goes, oh, but that's really great for early on. And I'm like, oh, far out. Like, come on. <laughs> Now I need to know. And Gary was like, you don't want to know. I'm like, I want to know. And he's like, you don't. I'm like, tell me. And he's like, it's less than half of what you thought. And I'm like, what? Three centimeters. And he was like, yep. And I was like, oh, my God. And it's funny because later on I found out I was actually only two. Oh, but wow. I was fully effaced and, like, nice and soft. So that's where she was saying, you know, oh, it's this is really good for early yeah. on and I was just from that moment I was just like I'm done I'm done I just want a c-section like just cut oh. it out like I'm done oh. <laughs> and she was like okay cool so maybe get up and go for a walk get outside you know just start doing some you know squats and, and start trying to encourage him down a bit more because my waters hadn't broken again I was going to ask you how far apart were your contractions at this point would you say like were they pretty close together? Yeah, they were they... close together. Yeah. They were really like so I was like I was adamant that I was a lot further along. I'm like, we we're about to have a baby real soon. And yeah, no. So <laughs> although yeah, you'll hear it it shifts very quickly, shifted very quickly. So we went out and then I got a call and they said, Right, there's a room available for you. And it, which was interesting because they wouldn't have done that. So that was something that, you know, obviously I'll get her in a room as soon as possible so that she's comfortable and we can, you know, make sure that she's getting that VIP service. And then, <laughs> so I got into a birth suite and I was like, my body was just like rest. I'd been climbing up and down stairs. I'd been squatting. I'd been freaking doing everything to get this baby to like, to, to get the cervix to open. And my body was just like, you need to just lie down and rest. 
just rest. And I kept saying, I need to lie down. I need to lie down. And I'm like, no, you need to keep moving. You need to keep moving. I'm like, no, I need to lie down. And my doula finally said to me, she's like, do you just want to lay down for 20 minutes? I'm like, yes, I just want to lay down for 20 minutes and just rest. Like, that is what I'm being told to do. Yeah. So we did that. I lay on my side. Everything slowed down beautifully. Like I had a pillow between my legs. So I was keeping everything open and, and I just rested for 20 minutes. We got to about seven o'clock and it was about four hours since I'd had my last VE and the midwife was like, okay. So the midwife was freaking out going, oh God, it's slowing down. Okay. She's not going to have a baby anytime soon. Everyone was like, ah, and I was just in full trust. I'm like, no, I just need, I need this time to just regroup and then I'm going to be good to go. And she's like, okay, do you want to do another exam? And I'm like, yeah, I was seven centimeters from rest. And I was like, I just knew it. Like I knew that that was what I needed. And I heard a story about someone else who had been like, I just need to rest. And it was in the rest and the relaxation, not the trying to make it happen, that I actually created space for my body to do what it needed to do and for allowing it to open. And it was like, they were all just like, oh, oh my gosh, we're going to have a baby. Like, let's do this. And I was like up in the shower and off we went. So I was in the shower for about three hours and the surges were coming. And I was like, looking at my door, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And um, she was like, you're already doing it. Like just having that support, I highly recommend a doula. She was amazing. She was just like, you're already doing it, babe. Like, you've got this. And so we went through and then all my mucus plug came out. And then I was kind of at a point where I was like, something shifted, something changed. And I'm like, something's changed, guys. Like, this isn't right. Something's moved. It feels like he's gone back up, Mm. like bounced back up. And my midwife was like, okay, that's unusual. Can I have a check? Should we have a look at what's going on? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Because at this point, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm so done. And she checks and she's like, oh, you're only eight centimeters and your waters are bulging. And I'm like, oh, but she said later, she's like, what was really interesting was that she could put her fingers there, she could feel him, but she could actually tap him and push him. And he could, oh. she could bounce him back up. Oh. So he wasn't he wasn't fully down because my waters were bulging so Your much. Waters. He couldn't quite get down. And I was like, okay, well, can I have an epidural? <laughs> I was like just thinking of all the things that I could do. <laughs> and the midwife was like, no, you can't. Like, you don't want that. We're not doing that. I'm like, okay, thanks. But then she was like, well, but we could rupture your membrane. And I'm like, yes, do it. So they went and got the the, um, the head. So I had the head of obstetricians supporting me through the process as well. So he came and spoke to me before I went into the birth suite about, you know, what would happen if we had to have a C-section and my options with that and if I did change my mind and decide what would be available etc and um so he actually she went and spoke to him and he came in and he was the one that broke my waters and from that moment I was like oh I just want to rest for a little bit and I couldn't I was like it was on and little man came in 45 minutes from that moment so I just needed needed the waters broken and that was another thing it was like do you need your waters broken and my body was it wasn't me answering it was my body it was like yep because I knew that that was the thing that was going to get him get him earthside, which was amazing. And yeah, that next 45 minutes was the most intense and life-altering, incredible experience of my life. <laughs> like far out, far out. I became a mother in that moment. Yeah, wow. it was incredible, incredible. Oh, far out. Yeah. So when he was born, what happened then? How did that feel in, in that moment? So I had I'd said that I didn't want to be push coached. 
so I remember like standing in the shower and just like holding on and, and the surges were on top of each other and it was like oh my god again oh my god again oh my god again you know those feelings and then like feeling him crown and in the ring of fire and and I got to feel him crowning. So my midwife grabbed my hand and I felt his little head and was like, is that him? And they're like, yes, I'm like, oh my God. Like, just like, far out. This is so, so incredible and scary and intense at the same time. And, oh God, it was just beautiful. And then, yeah, so, but she was still trying to monitor with the Doppler and his little heart rate was going a little bit funny. So we got, his head came out and she was like, I just, I need you to just push. So she just wanted to get him out just to make sure he was okay. Cause he was looking a little bit, a little bit gray. So I pushed and got that last little bit. And she cracked, cause I wanted to catch him, but she grabbed him and and then he like, she passed him to, to me between my legs and I got to pick him up and, and bring him up. <laughs> oh God, I just, that feeling, you guys know, like that feeling when you're like, oh, that relief, it's like utter relief. And just that rush of oxytocin and that love and you're just like looking at this baby or holding this baby. And I have no idea what was going on around me. I was just like just with that baby. And I was just like, can I lie down now? <laughs> like, was like can, I just, can I just get on the bed now? I'm just, I don't need to lie down. And they're like, yeah, of course. And I've got amazing photos. I don't know if you've seen them, but of me. You, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. There's one of me walking out of the shower and I've got Gary on one side and my midwife on the other and I'm holding the baby and I'm just looking at the camera like, oh my God, I did it. Like I just did it. It was, yeah, so amazing. And then after that, so it was like immediately to me and he just was on me the whole time for like five hours. I was just like, he's not leaving me. They did everything that they needed to do. I birthed my placenta. Through that, I got stitched up. I think, I did I get stitched up with him on me? I think he was off me at that point. Oh, no, he was on me. We did a little bit. Of, he did a breast crawl, which was really beautiful. Um, and, yeah, there was just, it was just amazing. Just that that can, instant connection of, oh, like that shift. I felt the healing. I felt the shift inside of me instantly. I was like, this is what. I would be had been missing this is what was missing you know like that I'm a mother I'm a mother now yeah Mm -hmm. it was really beautiful yeah yeah beautiful it's definitely very overwhelming I think particularly for you where you had the previous two births where you hadn't experienced it so you knew you knew what was um, missing and then to, so to have that was quite, would have been quite overwhelming for you, I'd imagine. Yeah. And just that I did it. Like I, I actually did the thing that I didn't think I was possibly going to be able to do based on what had happened, but also based on the fear that had been instilled. Like birth is created or, you know, as women, we're showing birth to be a really scary, painful thing. So there is a part of you that can that has that doubt of, oh my God, am I actually going to be able to do this? So to actually experience the power of a woman, my power as a woman, to birth a life through my body, like, and to actually transition through that that intensity and the pain to get through it and just be like, holy crap, like I felt like superwoman. You know, to be able to actually do that and go through that. But there was one point where I was like, oh, my God, 
Like that's intense. That's really intense. I felt like, I felt like my pelvis was breaking. Like my pelvis was expanding. Expanding. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, my bones are breaking. Mm -hmm. I remember saying, things are breaking. And then she's like, no, no, baby. No, no, you're expanding. You're expanding. So my, my doula was like, no. So having her there to remind me that no stopped the fear. Yes. And anytime I was kind of going up into this, like the, ah! she's like, bring it down. It was like, Ooh, like to push out like the sounds you can't recreate, like it's incredible. But yeah, it, just having that support to keep me feeling safe, that continuity of care with her. So she knew me, I trusted her. Having someone yeah. that you trust in that space is so important because in that moment where I was like, oh, my God, I'm breaking, my bones are breaking, she's like, no, you're expanding. You're about to meet your baby. And I'm like, ah! Like, <laughs> the excitement and the, ah! And the, you know, all the things. <laughs> it's just, yeah. oh, God. I just, yeah, it's such an incredible experience. Wow. I did that. Like, yeah. Fuck. I can do anything if I can ex- if I can experience that kind of pain and still be like okay man there's nothing I can't do you know we're incredible women are just freaking phenomenal with your placenta you mentioned uh that came out there was no issues there did you have the injection or were you um able to have a physiological third stage I had a physiological third stage yeah yeah I hope it just didn't happen what about tearing did you experience any tears I did I had a small second degree tear um, on the left side which healed I didn't even feel it. like they were like you need to be making sure that you hold something on it when you go to the toilet and stuff and I, I didn't feel it at all how did that physical recovery compare in the vaginal birth to the previous two cesareans so much easier so much easier and I think probably more mentally like physically obviously you're healing like you're bleeding you're you're uncomfortable there was no need to be on any painkillers like drugs or anything I could get up and take myself to the toilet quite comfortably I could get up in the middle of the night and pick up my baby and not have to be in pain like yeah it's just it was just easier calmer like there wasn't that whole oh god I'm in pain oh my god I'm in pain and I have to feed my baby like I could just focus on being with my baby um, and even the tear, like the tear wasn't, it was funny, the lady, the, I can't remember who it was, one of the doctors, you know, B, who, who usually stitches you up? At hospital, I think but, it's not usually a midwife, but I've heard midwives no, it, do it. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a midwife. It must have been an OB, but she came in and she's like, oh, you had a baby. And I'm like, yes, I pushed him out of my vagina. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well done. It was just beautiful. Like, she was just so like, yes, you're amazing. Well done. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> the first thing I said to her, I was just, just so proud of myself. I don't think this, the cut was that bad because I really didn't notice it at all. I did a lot of perennial massive the perennial massage. Is that how you say it? Yeah. So Gary, my partner, did that a lot. So I think, hope so. I don't know, but yeah. it helped, yeah. Yeah, when did you do that from? We did that from about 35 weeks, I think it was. 34, 35 weeks. Yeah, no, it wasn't overly consistent. He maybe did it about six or seven times. Mm-hmm. But it definitely, I think it helped. And did you do any other physical preparation besides that and acupuncture, like chiro or yoga? I, or I did have chiro. Like that, yeah, or? I was seeing I was seeing. Oh, you did, yeah? Yeah, yeah, right through and up after as well, yeah. 
you touched on before the fact that you felt, you know, there was a good bond there with Levi. How, how did that feel postpartum, I suppose, with him? Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, I don't, you know, I actually don't really know how to put it, how to explain it. Like, it's it's the feeling. Gary's always like, oh, Levi's your favourite. <laughs> like, well, he did come out of my vagina, so. Um, but it's more that. I don't know, it's like just a, an instant connection, like a mother-daughter, mother-son connection. Mm. Yeah, it's really hard to put into words. It's because I, I had that with the boys, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's actually something I can articulate. Mm. I'm trying to find the words. Yeah. Uh, do you think it could have had something to do with the oxytocin and the hormones of the natural birth? I think leaving, so, yeah. Leaving you on a greater high. And so do you think that that changes your perception in some way towards, you know, towards the bond or? Because it's funny because I remember the high with Griffin, like the first one, I was like, oh, my God. Like it was that real high there, but I laboured a lot longer with Griff. So I got to about eight centimetres. So there was more hormonal release with that. Yeah. Um. The one thing I have noticed with Levi is that Levi has that real baby smell. So I remember with the boys, I'll be like smelling them and like, oh, they just smell like a person. Like wasn't really getting the whole smells like a baby. Whereas Levi, he smells like his pheromones are much stronger. Like off the top of his head, I'm like smell him. And I'm like, oh, that's the baby smell that people talk about. Whereas I didn't experience that with Griffin Phoenix because I don't think they passed my understanding or my belief is that they didn't pass through the vagina and get all the kind of juices and everything that created that. So there wasn't, maybe it's even just linked to that, like that that yeah. smell and that connection of, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know. It just, I just know it feels different. It just feels different. And I think that's probably more within me of, I feel like a mother now because I birthed him in a way that I was designed to birth him. And it was the real, like the actual natural flood. Like I had no drugs. There was no pain relief. It was like the actual natural, entirely process. natural process. Yeah. Yeah. That is common that we hear that in a lot of feedback stories that yeah, okay. that experience somehow, yeah, shaped the bond in a way. And that's the stuff. I think that's where I get really frustrated about the whole process of pregnancy and birth and the way that women aren't supported because it is such a huge, huge thing and it impacts mother and child so much but it's not actually treated with the respect and the sacredness that it, it needs and deserves. It's just seen as, oh, here comes another baby, push it out. It's like, no, there is so much importance on, like placed on how the child is birthed and how the woman is supported and the village and it's just, it, it makes me so sad that it's not actually seen as the sacred journey and experience that it actually is, mm. that it's become so medicalized, you know, and that women aren't taught to trust themselves or aren't taught to, you know, know what their bodies are capable of and know what they're capable of and that they're designed for it and to feel empowered in it instead of just trusting and fearful. Like it's, it's an absolutely incredibly beautiful experience feels like it, it made me a woman I feel like a woman who's having given birth 
getting to experience that thing that we are designed to do. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just incredible. It is incredible. I think a a key lesson or a key takeaway um, from your story is just the that trust in your body and listening to your body. I think you did that, you know, even in your first and second birth in particular, when you knew something was wrong, you knew intuitively that something wasn't right. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good um, sort of takeaway, just listening. Yeah. Build that relationship with your body. Build that, like, and listen to it. Like, these vessels are so wise. They hold so much wisdom and, like, if we can actually just tune in to, and get out of here and get into this, we have every answer to every question that we need in our body with our intuition. Like, it will always lead us in the right direction. But we spend so much time in our heads questioning everything that we forget that the answers are just here, you know. Nick down. Get out of the, get out of the head. Get into the get into the womb start connecting with the womb and the pussy for sure Mm. well thank you so much for sharing your story with us I think um, there's a lot of women out there who you know would probably find themselves in your situation after two cesareans and not sure which route to take in their next pregnancy and it's nice to hear a story you've you know given birth in hospital and, and all the challenges you faced as well. I don't know if you know, there's actually new VBAC guidelines that have come in for Queensland that are quite supportive of VBACs after two or more cesareans. So that's just oh, come in really fantastic. So hopefully, well, at least those in Queensland are not going to face as much resistance given these guidelines are quite recent and, you know, just basically points out the research, how very slim the chances are of uterine rupture, even in these scenarios as well. Right. Yeah. Mm. Like my mom, she had all three of us C-section and she was, after her first one, she was told all your kids have to be C-section now. Wow. Yeah, yes. Like that, yeah. And yeah. that was a, a very common saying there's once a C-section, always a C-section. Mm. I'm yeah. not sure if that generationally maybe has changed well, I guess once they know more and they understand more than that's right shift, yeah. Don't they? Yeah. yeah yeah thank you Nikki thank you thank <laughs> you for having me it was so beautiful to revisit and relive that like oh yeah it's such a lovely story <laughs> thank you for listening to this VBAC story if you like the show please subscribe and feel free to leave a review If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Be Back Birth Stories. If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbackbirthstories at gmail.com. Be Back Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.